Hello, Edgard. Hello, Gregoire. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Doing pretty well, thank you. So, what are we talking today? Today we are going to talk about the last sessions. So, this is the second installment on a series of three podcasts. Exactly. Okay. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook and SoundCloud. Or directly through the email discussions on psychoanalysis at pm.me. The links will be in the podcast description. Don't hesitate to leave any kind of comments or question you might have. My name is Grégoire Pierre. And this is Edgar Danielson. Welcome to Discussions on Psychoanalysis. start now with the last session. First, we should have a disclaimer that we didn't practice for so long. I think I started my practice probably 15 years ago. In my case, seven, eight years ago. So we probably didn't have enough time to experience a lot of termination. terminations. So we will talk about it from our experience. Yes. And of course, we can't talk about the last session without referring to Analysis Terminable and Immunable, published by Freud in uh, 1937. In the article, Freud mentions that analysis ends when the patient doesn't come anymore or the patient reached the goal, which will come back a lot in our discussion today. And we noticed four points that Freud makes that we found very interesting. Freud points out how life in the U.S. is out of rhythm with an analysis. So already back then, there was something about the American society that was against the rhythm of psychoanalysis. And more generally, with the time it takes to really alter one's psyche in a lasting way. We should remember that initially Freud was thinking of psychoanalysis as a process that would make conscious what is unconscious, and therefore it was a short process. Later on, he added a different psychic structure to his theory, and things began to be longer. So fast in Freud's mind was different to what is fast in American society to begin with. Fast was already a few years long treatment yeah. at five, five or, six, or times. six times a week. Which is getting pretty rare today. It's pretty rare. I have experienced treating patients up to three times a week, but have none four times a week or five times a week. At least New York Psychoanalytic and IPTAR requires their candidates to see people four times a week. Yes. But then you charge them, what, $5 a session? I don't know. I mean, it's not something sustainable for a private practice, except if you have very wealthy patients or very little financial needs. And the last point that we uh, wanted to take out of the article, the analysis terminable, and interminable is that it seems that to forward an analysis ends with the resolution of the patient's infantile neurosis. Or some people may say the resolution of the transference. Maybe today we would have a different point of view on what should qualify for that. The end of analysis, yes. Because certainly the resolution of patients' infantile neurosis is not something we talk about on a daily basis. No, and, and what the heck is the resolution of the transference? Also... <laughs> 
Those are very good questions <laughs> that we are going to develop in the podcast. In the article, Ford distinguished the incomplete analysis from an unachieved analysis. And the first are due to external difficulties and the second didn't go far enough. Mm-hmm. We will just uh, keep that in mind. Let's put Ford's article aside for a second. We've been using the terms analysis and therapy in this podcast and probably the previous ones. Should we distinguish analysis and therapy when it comes to the end of the treatment? During the whole process, in my mind, there is a distinction. What matters to me is that we reach some understanding of the inner dynamics of the patient, that the patient gains some insight about the unconscious forces that drive some of their behavior and the wishes and fantasies on the line behavior. If we reach that insight, I think it makes a difference in terms of calling something psychoanalysis or therapy. Or to put it a different way, in some therapeutic processes, what matters is the patient feels better. I don't think that's the goal in the psychoanalytic process. It's more about insight. Strictly speaking, a therapy could be understood as symptom-focused, and analysis is not. It doesn't mean that we won't talk about the symptom, Mm -hmm. but it has clearly a further attempt. One would say that we're not focused on symptom relief, as you said. It's more about insight, understanding of inner dynamics. Yeah, an argument could be made that since in an analysis you're supposed to follow the patient's free associations, in Mm -hmm. some ways the patient's free associations might actually produce therapy moments. Correct. In my experience, it does produce more therapeutic moment and we switch back to analysis. Yes. Since the therapy and the analysis have different goals, it makes sense to understand the end of it differently. Yeah. We could already say that a therapy can end, but an analysis seems unlikely to end. To end, yeah. Because um, the subject is always moving, no matter what. Mm-hmm. To bring back Freud, end of the paper, he mentions that a psychoanalyst should go back to psychoanalysis treatment mm-hmm. every five years or so, he yeah. says. I would say more frequently, though. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason he proposes is that we are facing continuous conflict. Yes. I think when you are financially uh, stable enough as a therapist or as an analyst, you should go back to therapy or to analysis because it's not that we are confronted with conflict as I would say normal people. Every hour we face different yes. conflicts when yes. we have to adapt to them. Yes. So it is extremely exhausting. Yes, it takes uh, a toll. To be facing so many many conflicts all the time and to adapt oneself to each patient to each moment during even one session. I think being an analyst, it's not a guarantee, but it should be a requirement as soon as financially possible. Mm-hmm. Now we are going to talk about formal ends to therapy and we wanted to distinguish those that have been decided and those who haven't been decided. Mm-hmm. And let's start with when the last session has not been decided or has been forced on us. Mm -hmm. A question we had when we were preparing the podcast is, do we try to keep the patient with us? Well, I try to understand when the patient brings up the possibility of termination, what would be the best course of action for the sake of the treatment? And that would include the possibility of ending the treatment. I try to look at the conversation, the dialogue about termination also from a psychoanalytic perspective. Yeah, because maybe it feels sometimes that ending 
might actually be, be the best course of action. That's when we need to understand if keeping the patient with us is about us and not about the patient. I found that while we were in training and also while we were starting our practice, the pressure we had to keep patients uh, mm -hmm. probably clouded our judgment in terms of what was happening when our patient would force the end of our treatment. Yes, and it's pressure on us because the system, meaning the state, the training institutes and so on and so forth, require that we accrue hours. And then uh, it requires that we earn money. I guess one thing that I remember about one termination, a person made a decision to terminate and we talked about it. And, and I remember mentioning to my supervisor at that time, I lost a patient. And the supervisor said, no, I think you helped her move into a new phase in her life, which is a different understanding of why the patient is asking to terminate. It's less analyst focused. Yes, and more patient-centered. Looking back, sometimes the ways I try to keep patients who decided to leave actually couldn't take into consideration that something didn't click for them. Uh, maybe something with me, yes. uh, with me, maybe something in general with the process yes. implied in an analysis. And I realized that pressuring those patients too much to stay were actually putting the burden on them, my anxiety on them. Yes. It doesn't mean that uh, the situation applies to all patients. Actually, when I felt less pressure to keep those patients, I was able to listen to them. And sometimes they realized by themselves that they should keep going. Yeah. But often it's just over because something that they didn't share, something we couldn't hear happened and our chance to continue just slipped through. Are you referring to the possibility that our counter-transference was clouding the communication? I think just our counter-transference, I think our transference. Mm. I know it's, I uh, know it's open to <laughs> discussion, <laughs> to discussion <laughs> but my sense is we probably will <clears throat> discuss that more in detail eventually, but my sense is since transference is a natural process, mm -hmm. analysts have a transference on their patient. They yeah. also have a counter-transference. Yeah. But there is a transference. You, you project, you have um, your own wishes, desire, expectations, yes. your own repetition. I mm -hmm. mean, except if, again, you believe uh, like uh, some school of thoughts that the analyst is a perfect being. And I would say it's sadly pretty uh, spread that uh, when you become an analyst, you become some kind of super being, which makes little sense sense in regards to uh, what psychoanalysis I, ha I haven't met anyone teaches. like that. Yeah, well, yeah, but I'm sure you met people who believed that they were I like that. I met people who believe it. Yeah, that's think, different. I, I think we did. <laughs> I can assure you we did, actually. Okay. So I noticed that I would try to persuade them. And probably there was something I didn't catch much earlier yeah. in the treatment. So trying to resonate with our mm -hmm. patient actually feels usually like a last effort. Mm -hmm. But uh, at some point, something had switched within them. Or some other people may say, which could be also wishful thinking, that the treatment with us was just uh, an opportunity for the patient to gain enough strength for a further treatment with someone else. Which is not <laughs> impossible. Not impossible, I yeah. Mean, I've, uh, it I've sounds like wishful thinking to me, but <laughs> hopefully <laughs> it, it, it's true. Don't we need wishful thinking? Though? Of course we do. <laughs> I think we do. Uh, yeah. But I also have had the experience now to work with people who had therapy before, and mm -hmm. I sometimes think about the fact that 
certainly the therapy or analysis they had before were the ones you just described. So it was uh, a preparation for the next... For the next one. And mm -hmm. the one they have with me might actually also be another part sure. uh, in the chain. Some people stay stuck with an analyst for uh, as long as the analysis lasts or the treatment lasts. And others don't function that way. No. We have to hear that. It goes to the second point is how we let them go. Because sometimes it actually makes sense to let them go. And I think your, your supervisor's reaction to you experiencing a loss was an expression of it. Yes. Sometimes people leave, you feel hurt narcissistically, but mm -hmm. they gain something, they gain enough for them. Mm -hmm. as much as they could, and then they move on. I agree. However, there have been some terminations that, in my understanding, happened too quickly and too soon. Mm -hmm. uh, those concern me. I'm thinking, for example, cases where I, I've been working with someone who has somatoform symptoms, physical symptoms that have no organic cause associated, and then they want to make what, from my perspective, is a symbol meaning the pain in whatever part of the body they have, they are trying to make it concrete by having a surgery or mm -hmm. changing something in the body, etc. And once to shortcut the fantasy. Yes, they cut the fantasy, they make the symbol concrete, mm -hmm. and then they leave therapy. And those concern me. Yeah, it feels like a big fuck you. Maybe not personally to you. No, no. But it, to whatever you might To represent. whatever I was able to present or not. Those are my fantasies. Yes. I agree with you. When it stops too soon, it feels very different than when it stops abruptly after a year or two. Yes. Like when it stops after a few months, it feels uh, there's something off. Something off. And yeah. we cannot pinpoint exactly what. There are other ways for uh, therapy or analysis to end is when patients we thought we would see again actually never show up. It usually happens after breaks, like oh, a yes. summer vacation. Like how, how do you react to that? Do you try to contact them? You don't? If the patient has said that they want to return, I will reach back to them. Mm -hmm. I will always do that. I have had some positive responses to it, mm -hmm. and I have some silences, meaning the person doesn't reply. Nowadays, even if a patient doesn't say that he will return, but says at least that he was growing in the therapeutic process, I would reach out if the patient disappears. Actually, I don't. You don't? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find that when someone doesn't contact me back, I'm worried that I would become intrusive. Mm -hmm. I know that the counter-argument is that uh, some patients might feel, uh, probably that's uh, and where that's you're going what to, very rewarded. Yes, that's what changed my mind. Yeah. Uh, but it's difficult to point out when to do it or not. So if we get to know the patient well, if the treatment has progressed, we may distinguish patients who has abandoned conflicts. My worry is then you might be really twisting even more the question, who's asking what? If someone doesn't call me back and I call them back asking like pretty much what is going on, why don't you come back? Mm -hmm. That they might come back to please me and that they might not be able to say it. That's and, true. Or it might be something unthinkable in, in the therapy. I hear what you're saying. That might be the case with some patients. So again, you have to play by ear. Mm -hmm. There are some patients that I'm beginning to ponder if when they go and disappear, 
If I need to just check how you're doing and I leave it there. And why would you do that? Let me put it in a different way. A patient doesn't show up to one of our sessions. Mm -hmm. What do I do? I always reach out and say, I hope you're well. You didn't show up for your session. And the patient will say whatever the patient says. Okay. So, so I am pushing the envelope a little bit farther, meaning a patient now disappears after a break. So mm -hmm. I'm doing exactly the same. Okay. You're talking about a situation in which you had scheduled an appointment. Yes. And okay. there has been, for example, patients who say, I'm coming back on the first week of January, let's say, mm -hmm. and they don't show up. So I do exactly what I always do. I reach out. Okay. It's interesting because when I did not schedule a session with a patient, I, I don't call back. I really feel like it was their responsibility to contact me in the first place. Mm -hmm. And it is, I guess my reasoning is incomplete, but I feel like it is part of the process of subjectivation that I let them decide not to contact me again. I understand that. And I, that might be the case in s with some patients. Other mm. patients, I, I ponder if at the stage we are in the treatment that they require for me to be a little bit more okay. direct. With, with some, yeah. yeah I guess with, with some, some yeah. you might have a feeling that uh, they will need that. It leads us to uh, the last question we had in mind regarding the end of therapy that were not decided. Can an analyst decide to end the therapy or an analysis without the patient's input? Let me put it this way. I don't think I would do that mm -hmm. unless there is a major reason to not have the patient in the room with me. But I cannot foresee that right now. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen that before with any of my patients. Well, the idea would be maybe when an analyst realizes that the patient is not ready, in quotes. You're raising a good point here. What do we give our patients? So, for example, if someone is extremely concrete and not able to free associate, the kind of work I can do with that person is completely different to the work I can do with someone else who is able to explore fantasies and free associate and navigate more freely into their inner world. Mm -hmm. So the fact that one person is very concrete and is talking only about doing things to feel better, does that mean that I need to stop the treatment? Is that what you're talking about? My point of view is that you should not. But I remember hearing people talking about how they felt like patients were not ready and they terminated the work. Who is ready? What well, you see, like being you, ready means you could have this this argument that some patients are not ready for an analysis. Well, that's true. Some patients are not ready to do what we call psychoanalytic work. Does that mean that I am not being a psychoanalyst? Those are two completely different questions. So, in one case, I cannot do psychoanalytic work with a patient, but I am thinking psychoanalytically. Therefore, in my mind, I'm pondering conflict and drives, object relations and so on and so forth. If I allow myself to be with the patient, w doing what the patient needs from me at that point, maybe in the future we will get to an exploration of those inner dynamics. For an analyst to decide uh, independently to end the treatment mm -hmm. doesn't acknowledge the fact that a patient could benefit from the therapy in a way the analyst is not aware of. Correct. It is easy to, at some point, feel narcissistically hurt or not fed enough by a patient to be too concrete. Yes. Yet, I would really argue that as long as someone comes, you let them come. I would do that. Mm. However... I have I have a boundary. 
mm-hmm. which is that I want to see the person at least once a week. Yes. There are patients who come to therapy and say, I want to see you once a month. Oh, yeah, no, I see what you mean. And I didn't even think about that. And in those cases, I very gently say that the type of therapy I do requires mm-hmm. some intensity and frequency. I would go even further than that. I worked at a place where I was helping people with mental difficulties who were looking for work, for employment, and the work limited us to seeing them once every other week. And I learned there how hurtful actually it could be. Mm-hmm. Because you open up. Yes. And then you need to wait for 14 days before Correct. you can work on it again. You know, Freud was talking about how things get uh, cemented or. He used the word uh, crossed, crossed. Monday crossed. Yeah. After one day, yes, I can tell you after 14 days, <laughs> yes. it's a big crust. Yes, it's a big crust. And actually, I felt like people I was working with, I could feel that every session was helping them. But I could feel them being actually kind of depleted when they would come back and had to reopen the wounds. Yes. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. to me, it's just a disservice to them. It is a disservice. And the same way when someone tells me that what they want is CBT and I say immediately, no, this is not what I can offer you. Okay, one side of the coin is that it is a disservice to the patient. The other side of the coin is how do we deal with those hours that we are not feeling up? For example, if you have a patient that you can see only at 5 p.m. every month, once a month, then what do you do with the other five? Mm -hmm. You cannot get someone else to fill those hours and say, once a month I cannot see you. So it creates a difficult situation for the psychoanalyst. Yes, indeed. Going back to can an analyst decide to end analysis, even if patients are asking for even lower frequency, It is not our responsibility to stop it before they ask for less. It is the patient's responsibility to decide after we expressed our opinion if they want to continue. I I agree. I think it it makes a, a significant difference. Before we move to therapy or analysis that ended uh, and the decision was mutual, I would just like to share quickly my experience with children. Yes. From the therapies I offer to children, I realized how much sometimes it's neither the patient nor the therapist who decide if a therapy ends. And I know it's something that can be heard frequently. Children who get better through therapy might be removed from therapy because they get better. And I've seen that. My understanding is that those children were used as symptoms and once they stop producing symptoms, everything that is wrong in the family becomes more apparent and it's unbearable. And I've seen how some kids with whom I worked and things got better for them. They moved from being bullies and very difficult and disrupting children to not being like that. Actually, with children, it can be fascinating because it can go relatively fast in a time of a scholar year, like nine or eight months. You can see significant changes. And then the parents will find, from what I can remember, made up excuses about Mm -hmm. activities they have to do at exactly that moment that you're supposed to see them. Yes. Yeah. Those are last sessions that were not decided. Yeah. yeah. So in those cases, of course, we all were always working with the unconscious presence of the parents in the room. But in the case of children, the it's not an unconscious. It's not just a fantasy. <laughs> it's not a fantasy. <laughs> they have the final say, <laughs> yes. which in some ways is normal. 
Yeah. I mean, it's healthier if the parents are taking their parental responsibility seriously. Children shouldn't have to be the one who decide completely. They need to stay children and to not bear too much responsibility. Let's talk about how therapy ended when it was decided. How do we close one therapy or one analysis? In those cases where we've come to a termination that seems to be a natural process, we decide the date of termination. And in that last session it has been always moving mm -hmm. because the patient somehow begins to recount, yeah. goes back in time, sometimes five years, and begins to recount how they came into therapy, for what reasons, how was it for them to move throughout the years with me. So it tends to be very moving. It seems to be natural and the right thing to do. Yeah. I experienced some patients who had to move away from Manhattan and with whom I didn't think uh, therapy on Skype or any kind of other means would be useful. So we decided together that it would end, and that was pretty moving. I also experienced a situation in which the therapy, even after four years, the patient didn't feel he was going or she was going anywhere. And so we ended together. My experience was that the patient would say, okay, I want to stop. And I felt like, okay, I can see how I might be one therapy among others. And if I helped uh, this person to unlock some things and that could be used for a neck therapy, that's for the best. But Mm -hmm. I could feel that I was drained from energy. I couldn't really find what else to do. There are certainly uh, transferential and contratransferential things to think about, but I think we also have to admit sometimes that we are through. Yes, uh, we have offered what we can offer. And with our current limitations, yes. Yes. despite supervision analysis that we can follow and all the knowledge we gather through years, at some point we can be just done. Mm. And I felt like those situations were not necessarily moving, but certainly they allowed for closure. Uh, contrary to those where a patient comes and say. By the way, that's the last session. I'm never going to come back. Well, so. when that happens, it's a mix of emotions for me, mm -hmm. clearly, and for anyone, I guess. In those cases when patients have moved away because life demands require them to move to a different place, so they are geographically very distant, my experience has been that we have been working for a while that we both, the patient and I, feel a sense of loss. Yeah. I don't do much of remote or Skype therapy. I have done some sessions on Skype if the patient cannot get to my office one day mm -hmm. or so. But that's different from mm -hmm. having a continuous treatment on Skype. I find that the work is possible, but yes, it's, uh, it's, it's difficult. Uh, it's difficult. Before we end this part of the podcast, we know that some analysts decide to give some kind of termination day in order not to actually end the analysis of the work, but to shake up some resistances, hoping that mm -hmm. the patient who feels stuck will all of a sudden be able to let a lot of things emerge because the end is near, so resistances will be down. That's not my style, so okay. I don't do that. Something I do that's close to what you're saying is that if a patient insists on seeing me only every other week or every three weeks, then I may ponder out loud with the patient that we may have to stop. It's a little bit different, yeah. but it's a way to shake up what's going on in the room. It's different in the sense that it's part of the discussion. It feels to me when analysts talk about setting an end date, a fictional end date, yeah. 
that they hope it would be fictional. In my sense, it, it's the suggestion or hypnotic approach. It's, it's not so far. Because yeah. in some ways, you're trying to trick your patient into believing something that isn't true. And you hope that the resistances will go down because of it. I can hear the despair that some analysts feel with some patients uh -huh. and why they would do that. My sense is actually I would the way you're presenting it. I would mm -hmm. go straight to... Let's directly talk about it. Uh, uh, let's talk about this. And uh, if we put an end date, it's actually going to be yes. the end date. O otherwise, I think it's a disservice. If the hope is that the patient's resistances will decrease, then if the patient picks up an unconscious communication that we are trying to force them mm -hmm. to stay, mm -hmm. then I guess the resistance to the treatment will go over the roof. Well, I guess this is it for today. We will meet again to discuss whether or not an analysis can actually be over. As always, we appreciate your questions and comments. You can find us on SoundCloud, Facebook, and Twitter. Or directly through the email discussions on psychoanalysis at pm.me. The links will be in the podcast descriptions. And don't forget to give us five stars on iTunes if you want to support us. Until next week. Thank you. Thank you.